Well, thank you, Jungle Jim, for that wonderful, wonderful musical introduction. Oh my gosh, what a talented fellow over there, dancing around your electronic keyboard, piano, synthesizer, whatever the heck that thing is. I don't know what that thing is, but when you make it belch, it sure does belch out some good music. Jungle Jim, our fantastic musical director. Hi, this is Tim Marr, and this is Failing Up, recording this episode on Monday, March 14th, as we ease into St. Patrick's Day, recording in the bowels of the studio located in the home near the shores of the Seneca River, flowing north, right up into the mighty Great Lake of Ontario, which flows over into the Thousand Islands, St. Lawrence Seaway, right out to the Atlantic Ocean, and all around the world, just like my voice, or if you make a left, you're going to find yourself heading off to Buffalo, a little north up into Toronto, and a little south, right over Niagara Falls, into some of the other wonderful Great Lakes, those wonderful, wonderful Great Lakes. If you ever get a chance, please, please go out and take a look at these great, huge inland oceans. Unbelievable. Unbelievable there. They're so beautiful. But here we are coming into St. Patrick's Day weekend. What a great week. Not weekend, week. What a wonderful week to celebrate uh, Irish heritage and all it means. And just for everyone to be a little Irish and feel the luck of the Irish. Uh, my previous podcast, I talked a little bit about uh, what it means to me to be Irish. A little of my family history that came over from Temple Moore and rebels and Fenians came over into the United States and ended up in Syracuse, so ended up in Australia. Uh, my grandfather and his brother escaped from an orphanage and then were raised on Tipperary Hill by cousins. And I actually go back to, I uh, went back on our honeymoon, my wife and I, in 1995 to Anfield, the farm in Templemore, and grabbed some of the dirt there and came back and put it on the graves of my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather. I go there every St. Patrick's Day and put a flag on there. And how important that heritage is, all our heritage is, um, that's all folks, all our heritages are to each of us. But the, the thread of my Irish blood has, has carried me through many uh, interesting adventure in my life. And one of them was in 1982. In 1982, I was a student at Syracuse University uh, and had just auditioned and was accepted into the drama department at Syracuse University. I'd been there for just about a year. Uh, in, in the area of speech communication, and I took some non-major drama classes, acting classes, and then I uh, auditioned and was accepted into the drama department, so I was going to be able to get a dual major. And uh, it was spring of 1982 when all this happened. I was really excited. I was really thrilled, and you know, a dream of mine was to be an actor. Well, my sister was uh, at FIT down in New York City, so I went down to visit her. And I heard about a school down there called the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. The American Academy of Dramatic Arts. So I went down and I auditioned for the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And I got into the American. I was accepted into the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And I figured, heck with it. I'm not going to finish up college because I hate the rest of those courses. I'm going to come down here. I'm going to go to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and become an actor. So I finished up. I worked at the television station. I was doing teleprompter and doing a kid's show on Saturday mornings as Bobo the Hobo. And, and as autumn came, I decided it was time for me to move to New York City in September of 1982. I moved to New York City. One of my many fledgling adventures into New York. But I moved to New York City and I got a, a room at the West Side YMCA up on West 63rd Street. Beautiful area. A uh, little room. The YMCA had these uh, rooms that they offered as like dorms for people going to school. And seeing I was going to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, I fit the bill. Now, uh, classes at the American Academy weren't starting until uh, mid-October, so I had a lot of time on my hands. 
uh, and I didn't know what to do with myself. I'd walk around the city. I'd get up in the morning. I'd work out at the Y downstairs. Um, but I didn't know what to do with myself. I had some really close friends who were um, back in Syracuse working at the television station, much older and being much wiser, an anchor and a director. And, and I would call them every night from the Y and say, oh, my God, I can't believe they came down here so early. What do I do? What do I do? I should come back. They go, no, go get a job. Go out the next day and find yourself a job. I said, all right. So the next day, I walked around Manhattan. The Y's up on West 63rd Street. I used to go get, um, walk up a little bit by the Dakota. There was a deli up there. I'd get a cup of coffee and a bran muffin and walk through Central Park. And, and I decided to walk. I'm going to walk down through Midtown and Manhattan and see if I could get a job. And I went to a couple places. I never worked in a restaurant in my life, by the way. And I went to a couple places and applied. I applied to like a cheesecake place. There was a famous cheesecake place down there at the time. I can't remember the name of it, but I applied there and I applied someplace else. And, and I was walking back up 7th Avenue, uh, getting, getting towards Central Park. I'd walking up and I was on 52nd Street, 7th Avenue, 52nd Street. And there was this restaurant called Rosie O'Grady's. Rosie O'Grady's restaurant. And I thought to myself, oh, a nice Irish place. I'm going to walk in there. I don't know what drew me to walk into Rosie O'Grady's, but I walked into Rodeo, Rosie O'Grady's. I think it kind of reminded me of a Coleman's in Syracuse or maybe a Nibsey's, but I, I walked into Rosie's, and it was a quiet time of day. And there was the manager at the, at the um, stanchion when I walked in. He said, oh, what can I do for you? And I said, well, I'd like to apply for a job. Have you ever worked in a restaurant before? I said, well, no. He goes, well, we're not hiring. I said, oh. He said, but I'll fill out an application anyway if you'd like. So I filled out an application. And he took it, and he read it, and he said, I've never heard, I've never seen the name spelled that way before, Mahar, Mahar. I said, well, you know, they changed it a lot of ways. My great-grandmother was M-E-H-E-R, my real name is M-E-H-E-H-E-R, and we spelled M-E-H-A-R. I said, all right, Timmy. He goes, get, he goes, well, get yourself a white shirt, a black tie, and a black pair of pants, and some black shoes, and be back here tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock. I said, what? He goes, yes, here now, Go. I was hired. I couldn't believe it. I went back to the Y. I was so excited. It was a Friday. So I got back there at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning. I had never worked in a restaurant in my life. I was, and uh, I met this other bus boy. I believe his name was Jimmy McGillis. And he said to me, he said, you know, uh, he showed me how to fold the napkins and how to put the, the tablecloths on. And I was a disaster. I was an absolute disaster because I had never worked in a restaurant. I was slow, filling water, uh, counting tape. I was just a mess. But I got through the day. I got through the day. I think I worked from 11 o'clock to like 5 o'clock or something like that. But I had gotten through the day. I was a disaster. It took me forever to fold a tablecloth. I was dropping dirty dishes, I, you know, bringing bread out. My job was to essentially, when it looked like people were done and the waitress nodded, I went out, I whipped whipped the tablecloth off, got all the silverware, throw it into a bin, got the new tablecloth, new plates, folded napkins, the whole deal. When the people showed up, I brought out their bread, I poured their water, um, made sure their bread and water was being, you know, maintained throughout their meal, and it helped out with bringing out booze and stuff, and also, you know, bust the bar. And um, and so, you know, I was I was kind of, and said, well, you know, you're going to come back and work at night. So I worked Monday night. And Monday night, was crazy. You know, I got there at five o'clock, and as I walked into this place, Rosie O'Grady's, one of the waiters said, "Have you had dinner yet, Timmy?" And I said, "Oh no, no, no. Go in the kitchen and get yourself a bowl of soup and some bread, and get something to eat before you start your shift." I thought to myself, "Oh my God, I'm gonna get a free dinner." 
So I had a great bowl of the soup. They always had a different soup every day. And I had this Irish soda bread. Oh, my goodness gracious, and a, a soda. And that night, I was working the downstairs. There was the big bar. There was a downstairs floor, like a lower level, then a split level and an upper level. So I was up on the split level, which wasn't that busy usually. And as it got busy, Jimmy McGinnis was showing me the ropes. He goes, you know, here's some tricks you do. You know, the tablecloths are folded. You know, as soon as they get there, you know, pre-fold and all this stuff. And and I was nervous, but I was and, and, and make sure you, you know, you throw the stuff in the bin and you bring the bin back. And um then the Matri D, this big guy, Brendan. Brendan was like six foot five, an ex-New York City police detective. What are you doing, Tim? Go downstairs and check the kegs. So I'd go way down into the bowels of the basement of Rosie O'Grady's. And I would make sure that the kegs were tapped. Or if a keg wasn't tapped and it was empty, then I would have to move the tap onto a fresh one. Or bring up like four cases of beer to make sure the bar was stocked. The bar would call you over. Timmy, we need four cases of beer. And I'd go down and go through the kitchen. Hi, the guys in the kitchen, the cooks. Oh, hello, my friend. How are you today, my friend? And one day I was going through the kitchen. And this cook said to me, my friend, come here. And I went over and he said, maybe if you ever bring me up a drink, we could be good to each other. And I thought to myself, what's he talking about? As I went down there, I came back up and he gave me a dirty look. And then I went back down and I gave him a beer. I'm bringing up cases and cases of beer. And he looked at me and he looked at the beer and I gave him a bottle of beer. And from that night on, I got whatever I wanted for dinner. Because we had we all had dinner breaks. And you usually got what like the special was that day. But I got whatever I want. I always wanted fish and chips. And we'd be down in the, in the lower level eating and all the other. How come Timmy Marr gets all the fish and chips and gets whatever he wants to eat? But I was bringing a six-pack of beer eventually up to the cooks every night. Great guys. And then I would, uh, I'd go over and I would stock the bar. And, and occasionally the bartender, my, my buddy at the bar, would say, oh, Tim, you're doing a good job. And he would throw a, a full bottle of beer in with, with the, um, the busboy tray for me. So, you know, take that and put it over in your, uh, put it over in your stand. We had a little station, you know, a little behind a, 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 like a wall. And in the station, you had the tablecloths and the napkins and the glasses. And that's how I'd set my beer. Hey, my God, Johnny gave me a beer from the bar. Sometimes I'd go over to the bar and go, ah, Timmy, you know, I don't want this drink. Take a shot for me, would you? So it was like it was like family. They had taken me in. And I was starting to become more comfortable because they were becoming like my family. And every day in New York, I woke up in the morning at the West Side Y, worked out, went up to West 60, uh, went up by the Dakota, got myself a cup of coffee and a brand muffin, walked through Central Park, went back to the Y, Went over to St. Patrick's Church to Mass and then went back to the Y again, got it dressed up and went to Rosie O'Grady. And I got there early because it was like going to, it was a safe place for me. And every time I went there, everybody was, oh, there's Timmy, you know, Timmy's here. And um, as I got better and better, I realized you could stay there later. Like certain bus boys would want to leave early. You could leave at certain nights. Like the, the matron, brain was like, all right, you know, two of you can leave and one of you's got to stay. And I said, oh, I'll stay. And that meant you stay till like four in the morning. But if you stayed till four in the morning, you got to count the tips and you got a greater percentage of the tips. So the deal was the person who stayed till about four got to take a little more tips than the guys who left early. And I would count the tips and, and you'd make decent tips. And then I could have a bottle of beer at the bar and, you know, you'd meet some really interesting people at the bar. But they were always looking out for you. I remember one night, you know, uh, this person was talking to me at the bar and Brendan walked over. Now, Brendan, the manager, and he said, uh, you leave him alone now. You leave him alone and you get your butt out of here, he said to this woman at the bar. And he looked at me and he goes, you mind your own business, Tim. You're going to get yourself sliced in half. You don't pay attention to what you're doing down here. You stick with us. And uh, they took me in. 
I felt safe. I felt like I was at home. And there was a band, Christy Carroll, who used to play right around 10 o'clock at night. We cleared off part of the, the, the center floor. And Christy Carroll would start playing all this wonderful classic Irish and rebel music. And, and people would be singing along and still eating their dinner because the Broadway crowd would come in around 11 o'clock. And Christy would be cranking his songs. And we'd be walking around with trays and changing tables and uh, you know, sneaking a beer here and there from the bar. And you know, just going, I just felt so safe and so you know, at home here in the bowels, you know, 7th Avenue, 52nd Street. I didn't want to leave. You know, and then I would go way down into the basement because sometimes you'd have to go get laundry. So I'd go down to the basement, you know, and I'd get the laundry. So there was this, there was the, there was the part with the beers and the kegs, and then you go wait. I was a big building, and you go down and you get the laundry, and the guys down there doing the laundry, they didn't speak much English. So I walked out, hey guys, and all this is ah motherfucker, how you guys doing, ah motherfucker, hey guys, how's it going, motherfucker? <laughs> and so we just, I would go out, we call each other, hey, hey motherfucker, 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 and you know, then, then I'd give him a beer. I say, hey, you guys want a beer? Oh, yeah, good motherfucker. Motherfucker, they left. But all down in the basement. Well, so you had all these layers to the buildings, too, to the building. And then I would go back up and bust the tables. And now, again, a celebrity might walk in. And, uh, you know, you had your dinner. I got dinner. I got, you know, soup and bread beforehand. I got dinner in the night, a sit-down dinner for my break. And then I would stay afterwards and have some beers at the bar. And I met so many wonderful people, and I went and I met a culture of, of immigration in New York. Because the reason I was hired at Rosie O'Grady's was because I was Irish American, because my last name was Irish. Because I found out two days before immigration had gone through Rosie's and cleared out the place of a mess of illegal Irish. And my best friend, at the time, who was going by the name of Rory, and for some reason Brendan didn't like Rory, but one night Rory and I were talking, we were having a couple beers down in the locker room. And he said, you know, Tim, my real name's not Lori. It's really uh, blah, blah, because I'm an illegal, and that's why I can't go by Rory. I thought, my God, that guy just trusted his life into me. You know, and, uh, and the bartender, John Carroll, would call me the hillbilly. Where are you from, Tim? Yeah, you're from upstate Albany? I said, oh, no, no, Syracuse. Oh, my God, you're a hillbilly. He's a hillbilly. Give him a shot of whiskey. He's a hillbilly. Give Timmy a shot of whiskey. He's a hillbilly, my God. And every Friday night, Every Friday night, because I didn't work on Friday nights, I had nothing to do. I had, you know, I didn't have any, I didn't know anybody in the city except at Rosie's. So my Friday nights, I would walk around, maybe bar hop, and I'd always go into Rosie's. Because early on Friday night, all the bars like Rosie's in New York had free hors d'oeuvres, all you could eat, and and you could get a beer. So I'd go to Rosie's and go to the hors d'oeuvres, and uh, and there was a fellow who played the piano in there. We actually played with Bobby Darren. I'd go over and I, he played at nights there sometimes at the bar. And I'd go over and I'd talk with him. One day I actually sing Mac the Knife with him at the bar. And um, pasty skin, you know, dark hair, dyed. Great piano player, though, at the bar. And um, and I'd go there and I'd sit, you know. And um, and John would say to me, go, you know, Tim, come in there on Friday nights and sit at the bar, but just dress up a little bit, you know. Just dress up, because everybody at the bar, you know, they're they're just here to impress. So you just sit there at the bar, and I'll take. And he did every, you know, I used to be, I get plowed every other drink, you know, I'd, I'd pay for two, get one free, pay for two, get one free. I'd sit there for hours. I had nowhere to go, and the waitresses go, oh, you know, Timmy Mars on a tear again. And then afterwards, either after we work sometimes, or or after a Friday night, you know, there was there was other there was another bar in New York, more of a local local Manhattan bar, and that's where all the. The Irish in New York went late at night, and that's where I would go. Or in the afternoon, I'd go there with, with the Irish. These were really, you know Irish from Ireland, and many of them illegals. And we'd sit there in this bar at night and laugh and joke, and you know they get pictures of harp, and glasses of lime juice because 
you, you got a glass of harp and you poured the lime juice in. And we sit, they taught me things about that and uh, just about the culture. And we just, we just had such, it was such a warmth. It was a family, I found. I found this family. I remember one day, you know, and the owner, Mike Cardi, was this gentleman, this New York gentleman, a marathon runner and a former boxer, just a well-dressed, sharp guy. Looked like somebody you'd see out of the movies. Classy guy who knew everybody and took care of you. One day I was going over to bust the bar when I first got there. And I had the bus tray and I had a pint glass in the bus tray. I picked up my first pint glass and I heard, I heard Timmy. They always called me Timmy. Timmy, come on over here for a second, Timmy. Crowded bar. And he said, come on over here for a second. And he took a dollar bill out and he put the dollar bill in my pint glass. So, all right, now go and uh, go bust the bar for me. And the bar, you know, was in the middle and it had like, um, you know, a shelf where people could lean on against, excuse me, against the wall. And it was crowded. It was a Friday, you know, it was a Thursday night, not a Friday night because I didn't work Friday night. And, uh, and I was bussing it. And these guys saw the dollar bill in my glass. So they wanted to, you know, good. So they, you know, oh, hey, thanks, buddy. Hey, buddy, thanks, buddy. And they put another dollar bill in the glass. By the time I got around that bar, I had about 20 bucks in that glass. Easy, maybe even more. And I walked over to Mr. Cardi and I said, oh, Mr. Cardi, thank you. He goes, and, and then, he, then he took a dollar bill out and he put it in my pocket. He goes, you keep that one to always put in the glass, Tim. Because you see here, Timmy, half of these guys work for J.C. Penny, but when they come in this bar on a Thursday night, they want everyone to think they're working down on Wall Street. So you just remember this with the glass now, would you there? I said, oh, thank you very much. I remember one day I was walking out of St. Patrick's Cathedral at noon. St. I used to go there every day just to kind of get some peace and go sit in St. Patrick's Cathedral. And I was walking out at noon, going back to the Y, probably to work out. And there was Mr. Cardi walking up the street in this beautiful, you know, like wool trench coat with two guys on either side. And he's walking, walking up the sidewalk. And I'm just coming out of the church and they stop. He stops them and he walks over in front of three people, walks over in front of a path of people in New York City and goes up to me and goes, how are you doing, Timmy? I said, oh, hello, Mr. Cardi. He goes, you're going to be at work tonight. I said, yeah. He goes, okay, make sure you get the soup before you start and some nice bread, okay? It was just, they saved me. I started, I was in New York by myself, living at a Y, and now I had a family. I had a family in New York. Um, lo and behold, I decided not to go to that. I went to a first week at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, and I realized it just wasn't for me. You know, it seemed like an acting school you went to, and they you know, I was in tights and ballet class and I was singing and all this stuff. And I remember sitting there one day thinking, this isn't what Bill Murray did. Bill Murray didn't do this. I got to find out what the hell Bill Murray did. And at that point, I decided I'm not going to the American Academy. And I went back to Rosie's and I said, you know, look, I'm not going to go to this. And they said, ah, you, you just stay here. Tim. You, you, you got, you're fine. We've got you all covered. You work here as long as you want now. And, um, I loved those people. And then to this day, I haven't been to New York in about four years, but every time I go to New York, I used to go to New York uh, almost every other week for business when I was with Cornell or Syracuse, New York all the time in Syracuse. And I always stopped by Rosie's, always stopped by Rosie's. And uh, sometimes if I had time, I'd have lunch. And some of them would, you know, Sheila would still be there and Kathy would still be there and they'd come on over and you know, we're talking 30 years later and they'd talk to me just like it was yesterday. You know, and the, and the songs, you know, Christy Carroll gave me the album the night I left and how I'd, I'd always go back. And when I went back a year later and I was on NBC Page, I brought some of my fellow Page friends over there to Rosie O'Grady's, you know, my family in New York. My, and I think of that place. I think of the warmth of that place. I think of the music in that place. I think of those 
those New York autumn nights in Rosie O'Grady's where I'd get there about 5 o'clock and I'd be there till 4 in the morning. And it was just magical. The characters, Brendan, the big detective, you know, eating his dinner by the booth and dressed to the tees and looking sharp as anything. You know, and Jimmy and Rory and Kathy and Sheila and, uh, you know, Karen and all the, all the, you know, just looking at me. And they're the crazy hillbilly from up north, you know. And the night a fight broke out and they had me come out in the streets to help out. And, you know, how they just always took care of me. But it was, it was the warmth. It was the warmth and the caring of Ireland. It's the warmth and the caring of the Irish. And there it was right in the heart of Manhattan. 7th Avenue, 52nd Street. Rosie O'Grady's is still there. And still a, a landmark in New York City. Little did I know what I was walking into uh, when I went to Rosie O'Grady's. And Rosie O'Grady's holds a place in my heart like a great love, like a great memory, like a great book, like a great school, like a, like a family, like a loss of a family. When I think of Rosie's, that's how I feel. That's, that's how my heart tingles and my body warms up because Rosie's and the people, those beautiful people at Rosie's meant they took me to Ireland every day. And they took me into their world every day, into their, into their secret bars and their lives and what I learned. And um, I'm so fortunate to have had that experience to reinforce the experience that I had growing up uh, from a family who grew up, you know, by St. Bridget's and St. Patrick's and all of that on Tipperary Hill. But, but to have that and you know, that side of the city, but to then go down there in Rosie's welcomed like that. Uh, it was just, just really a true, true blessing. And, and when I think of this time of year and I think of the sentimentality of this time of year, I don't think about, you know, getting shit-faced and all that, drinking green beer, but I think about the poets and the writers and the humor and the music and the, the, the use of the language. And that all happened in Rosie's every single night. And for that, I'm grateful. I hear you, Jungle Jim. It's time to get out of here. That's two. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the day. This is Failing Up, and this is Tim Marr. Take it away, Jungle Jim.